Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Welcome friends. What you are about to hear is part two of my interview with Dr. Jace Long. So if you haven't already, stop, screw, go back and listen to episode 31. That will allow you to get the best experience of this conversation. Okay, crisis averted. Whoever is left at this point has clearly already listened to episode 31, part one of my interview with Jace, and you are so excited to jump right back in to our riveting conversation. To give you a little sneak peek into some of the topics we dive into today, we discuss my experience with bullying in high school while also navigating emotional neglect at home, We also talk about individuals with avoidant attachment styles and those with preoccupied disorganized attachment styles often end up attracting one another. Then we dive into the difference between self-awareness versus self-absorption and really learning how to capture and tune into our complicated feelings. We finish things up by talking about the importance of setting strong emotional boundaries and also why I've decided I'm not giving anyone advice anymore and maybe you shouldn't either. All right, if that sounds like something you are interested in, I'm going to roll that intro and then we will dive straight into part two of my conversation with Dr. Jace Long. Let's get into it. You have entered back from the borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, We'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, we'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. When I was 15, I endured some serious bullying in uh, junior high, just as many of us do. But it was like the Wild West of the internet was like back in the 2000s when MySpace was first coming out. AOL Instant Messenger was a thing. And like the adults had no fucking clue what was going on. And like people were just abusing each other on AOL Instant Messenger. And it was wild, yo. Like it was crazy. Um, I'm sure you, you, I don't know exactly how old you are. (laughs) Yeah, it was wild. And so I remember after just a particularly traumatic experience with these girls at school, I literally had like girls hang a Barbie doll on my locker and like write shit all over it. And it was like, and then I came to school one day and all of a sudden, none of my friends would talk to me and no one would tell me why. Right. And like, that is the most as a teenage girl, like I literally was so, it it was just so supremely traumatic. And I came home from school and I was just like, you know, like I was sobbing and just like beyond like inconsolable. And I remember like just literally sobbing on my bed and my mom came in and my mom just like sat at the foot of the bed and just watched me cry. And I was literally like, 
And I remember screaming at my mom and I was like, are you going to do something like, and my mom was like, what do you want me to do? And now I actually look Jace back on that moment. And I actually have empathy for my mom because my mom literally is so was, was, is so disconnected from her own emotions that she genuinely didn't know what to do. She wanted to like be there for me. So she's like sitting there awkwardly on the edge of my bed. But I like, I was more hurt by the fact that she was just kind of watching me cry. And I just said, and I said, like, I think I screamed something at her, like, fucking hug me, like fucking tell me that it's going to be okay. Say F those bitches, like tell me something. And my, and then I remember her then how it usually happened with my mom is like, I can never do anything right. I can't even come console you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, then she storms out. And then I am literally dealing with not only my mom abandoning me, then I'm dealing with the trauma of the bullying. And that Jace is just like, a little nice little bow at the package with a bow on it for you of like my experience. Well, and, and you know, what in that, what all in that was traumatic. It sounds like, you know, there's this very real experience of uh, being bullied, being, you know, kind of uh, passive aggressively um, treated really um, malevolently. And then having, I mean, I'm not, I don't know what you would say was worse or if it even matters, but it stands out to me that like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people get bullied, right? And then if you have friends and if you have family that you can kind of go and process it to, that really mediates the impact of that bullying. Yes. And you are already maybe having an insecure attachment with mom where you, you're not, maybe you're expecting her to not do much. And then she does that. And yeah, she didn't have, it sounds like, I don't want to overinterpret here. It sounds like she didn't have the capacity to be with her own emotions that made yep. it up by seeing a very distraught teenage daughter, right? Like, uh, absolutely in touch with my own anger and my own fear and my own sadness. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. I mean, that's what she's communicating to you non-verbally, right? Is yep. I don't have the capacity to go there, Molly. Like, yeah. But I can, I can sit here and like, uh, but that's all I got. And that's, that's what I'm realizing too, is like my mom, like she just is who she is. Like she really doesn't have the capacity to, to be there for me in that way. Um, and an interesting fact that my mom and I haven't even reflected on Jace is that my mom was going through early menopause right at the same time that I was a teenage girl. And so it was like the dueling hormone monsters, just like attacking each other. Um, And my mom even has admitted again, which is really big of my mom, like, because my mom's like looking back, she's like, I was so, so emotional and so messed up going through what I was going through. And I, I did, I wasn't there for you. Like I, I thought I should have been, but again, nonetheless, those experiences were so like, they're just like seared into my mind so intensely. And I imagine, um, well, I imagine that, that those experiences, uh, you know, there's the ones that kind of really stand out in one's mind, but even kind of the more mundane, uh, the things that happened before, say that experience, mm-hmm. right? you carry those unconscious procedural expectations, right. Yep. Uh, into maybe your relationship with your partner, right. Where, yeah. I'm having an experience, he's going to respond in this way, right? Like, and now some of that may be true. You know, a lot of times new people mirror the caregivers that we have, or we kind of find ourselves attracted to them. Um, but oh, maybe that has absolutely happened to me. And Zaz will laugh about it. Cause again, like he's on his own self growth, his own growth path, just as we all are. But I absolutely have been attracted to someone who is like so detached so avoidant. So, you know what I mean? Like not, not in touch with his emotions very much. Um, and Zaz has serious trauma that he endured as well. Like, um, he lost someone in a school shooting very early on in his life. Yeah. His dad left him very early, like really hard, hard stuff. Right. Um, but it just so happens that like, I, I love and adore him and we, we are working on, on things together, but, it it always works out that way, doesn't it? It's like, I know so many people, like some of my most emotional friends have ended up with some of the most like 
reserved, kind of like detached. And there's always this like, God, but then again, is that a good thing? Maybe that's kind of a good thing because a lot of times it's actually kind of a good thing that Zaz is the way that he is because he helps bring me down when I need to be brought down off the ledge. So it's hard. I want to, yeah, I want to say something to this of like this idea of maybe uh, people complimenting each other or, uh, you know, one's more avoidant, one's more preoccupied. Um, mm-hmm. I find myself saying something along the lines of, I mean, we, we heal in relationships. Now, that's not to say that you put your healing on the other person. But it also, you know, sometimes we have this notion that we need to go off and heal ourselves and then we'll be ready for relationships. Mm-hmm. Are the two people kind of committed to working it out together? Right. Like, and yes, you know, if you're not, then that compliment is going to become a pathway to disconnection over time. Right. Like, it's, yep. it's going to not work out. But if you can be committed to working those tendencies out and finding a way for it to compliment, then yeah, like, I, I don't think that, you know, all insecure people need to go find secure people um, and that that's the only way like it's yeah, it's like good luck. (laughs) Good fucking luck. Can we get like a dating app where we just get all the securely attached people together? They're always like, wait, what? (laughs) Sounds boring. Um, Right. (laughs) And also like impossible. Like I have yet. I honestly, Jace, like, I just don't think that I've it's hard to run across somebody who's quote unquote, like a finished project. Like everybody's working through their shit, you know, like that's another thing. I used to really think that I used to think like, Oh, I need to be by myself for a while and then um, heal myself. And then I'll find someone, the right, the one. Right. And then now I'm like going, okay, the one doesn't exist. There's probably like thousands of the ones for me that I could make it work with because I'm 50% of the relationship. I really had the thing of like, someone was going to swoop in and save me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and it really speaks to this, like we have these categories, right? Even with maybe uh, we could just go with the broadest insecure and secure. It's like, that's people don't exist in isolation in some secure bubble or insecure bubble. It's like we're contextual beings, right? Like we, we have tendencies and then we have environments that we're interacting with the best of our abilities. So somebody that could appear very secure most of the time certainly has the capacity to be insecure and to get overwhelmed and to regress and to split and to have black and white thinking. So there's no no magic, uh, like two, you put two securely classified people together. Oh yeah, they're going to be good. Now there may be, (laughs) there may be some, uh, uh, we could say some tendencies or uh, proportionality that like, okay, they're going to have less, uh, you know, conflict or something. Yes. But that mean that it's going to, it's going to be all uh, roses and, you know. Good I mean, it was insane in the beginning of mine and Zaz's relationship, like the, the fights, you know, like, and mostly me being the loud one and him being the, okay, I'm done. I'm walking out of the house and going on a drive and me literally like chasing the car kind of, you know, like being that vibe. And (laughs) as we have grown, it's like, I still have those annoyances with him, but what happens is, is we, it's like, we learn to kind of shift with one another. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I grew up going to the lake and when we would go tubing, it's like, you kind of have to lean the right way. Right. So that you don't fall off. And I think that's like a really good metaphor for kind of how you have to be in relationships. Like it's not always going to be smooth. You just have to learn to know when to like lean the right direction to keep things going up. Because if you don't adapt and you don't kind of, you're, no one's ever going to like, just accept me the way I am. It's like, no, part of being human and being in relationships is learning that sometimes you have to admit, you have to just like swallow it. Even if you know you're right, you sometimes have to pick, you have to pick your battles. You got to learn how to know when to lean on the tube. And that's what I'm learning most. And like, that's been the most transformative thing for me and allowed me to stay in a healthy relationship at this point. So we could say rupture right? Or imperfection is inevitable. So there's going to be difference. There's going to be conflict. Um, And so if if a a couple, a family is 
it's the question would be how effective are you dealing with those differences with that conflict? Everybody's going to have it. Yes. Sometimes for people, maybe ignorance is bliss. You see, maybe too, like they kind of, uh, oh yeah, we don't have problems. Maybe there's like a. Yeah. And then 10 years later, like one of them has been having an affair with 10 people and they're like, oh, oops, I guess maybe we should have had a few fights along the way. Yeah. I may have a bit of a, yeah, I think I'm a bit of a pessimist in that regard where if, um, you know, kind of the toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing where like, if there's not some working through conflict, I'm, I'm just, I find myself fairly skeptical. Of that. Me too. Yeah. I just, um, so yes. Because uh, you're clearly not talking about something because two people can't be cohabitating and like freely expressing their needs and their emotion without some type of like friction someone is sacrificing. It's either both of you are sacrificing or one person is sacrificing so much that it's literally going to like explode and, and it's like a time bomb. You see, I mean, I, I work with some older adults and um, I mean, you, these, you'll see people that have been married and some, again, some of this is uh, with a highly maybe religious kind of framework, but that have been in maybe, you know, for lack of a better term, a miserable, relationship for 40 years and you know and maybe they they don't ever even get divorced or maybe they kind of learn to live separately or something and it's it's a kind of a sad thing where and now i i'm all for a kind of a value of commitment and fidelity but then it's like at what point you know what are your values here and is there any room to kind of grow (laughs) together um or you know um, yeah like you said someone maybe is really sacrificing their needs and wants to maintain that commitment. Absolutely. The one post that I really wanted to talk to you about, because it's actually come up so much this week for me, you had a post and it says, self-awareness is the antithesis of self-absorption. As we increase our awareness of self, we increase in appreciation of its interpersonal nature, context, and reciprocal influence. Mm -hmm. And I obviously like that's a lot for the listener. They're like, what? what? <laughs> and uh, spoiler alert, all of Jace's posts are a lot and you're going to need to like noodle on them. But that's what I love about them. You can't understand nuanced concepts in like teeny little 15 second clips. Like what I love about this post, it's like self-awareness is the antithesis of self-absorption. And I find that in my followers and myself, looking back on my own recovery, I said this on another Instagram rant the other day is that I would have told you three years ago, I'm incredibly self-aware, right? Like, and now I'm like, oh my God, I was so not self-aware. Um, I think a, not a lot of people know the true definition of self-awareness and have a really skewed view of self-awareness. And secondly, they are, they're getting self-awareness and self-absorption really skewed. And for me, it was the fucking Molly show before I recovered. Everything was about me. Everything was, if someone wasn't responding to my text, it was about me. Like I was very self-absorbed and it's really, really hard to admit that you're self-absorbed. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much to say. I know. So, um, you know, not to, not to split on self-absorption here. Right. Um, mm-hmm. This goes back to unconscious. This goes back to um, strategies to protect the self. Um, when one is depressed, when one is anxiously preoccupied with what's going on, that absorption into those thoughts, into that experience, that person, that adult child, as we referenced earlier, is trying to survive. Yeah. Difficulty with that is that it, it loses out on a lot of stuff that's going on, right? Um, A a self-aware person has been able to look. And again, it's hard for me to see this. There's going to be limits without a really good, trustworthy relationship, set of relationships, because I don't think that one becomes self-aware in isolation, right? Like that's the part of it is that um, getting feedback to your patterns as your partner gave to you. Like so much of and being is, open to that feedback, right? Exactly. 
Well, and that, but even that, <laughs> yeah, this is not something that you just, um, I have a post about trust and it kind of goes into this openness kind of sense where you don't just trust someone. You don't just force yourself to trust someone. It happens. It gets built yes. in a personal environment. And so same with awareness. Awareness doesn't happen. You don't just become aware by going and reflecting. You have to reflect and feel comfortable and curious in a relationship to reflect, to be open. to yep. the And that's where self-awareness comes in. It's so true. And it's like, it's funny because when Zaz and I first started dating and I mean, first, first, when I was attracted to really like people that were in a similarly unhealthy place in their own level of self-awareness, I, the, the relationship I'd had before was like, we moved in right away. And he said he loved me right away. And I loved that. Right. Because I was like, this is exactly what I need. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Except then that, that relationship ended in physical abuse, like where I was like, I was physically abused and, and I had my part in that relationship too, where I was no picnic to be with either. And, um, but there's no excuse ever for physical violence ever, ever. Um, but with Zaz, right. When we first got together, I was like, when I would talk about like, Oh, when we have kids, when we get married, like so early on in our relationship and Zaz like would verbalize, like, I'm not even close to talking about that yet. Mm-hmm. And I took such offense to that Jace where I was like, Oh wow. You can't even see yourself with me. Like, of course, like, but I mean, God, God bless this man. Thank God he's still around. Like sometimes I'm like, damn Molly, whoa, slow your roll when I look back. But, but, but he said to me really early on in our relationship, he said, Molly, I love the person. Like, I love you. He's like, but this, for me to get to a place where I could even see having kids with you or getting married, this takes time. Intimacy develops. You expect me to just turn on these feelings like you do. And Molly, if I said that to you, I would be lying. And I love you enough to be honest and tell you that this is going to take time. And one day, if we get to that point, it's going to meet so much more because you're going to know that I really meant it. So this is a really important, really important point. A part of maybe we'll, what we're referring to as self-absorption, right, is mm. Uh, also interacting with our own fantasies, our own projections of who we think this, well, maybe better, who we would like or hope this person to be. Yeah. You know, there's some, I get a little cautious when people, you know, kind of thrust into a relationship. It's like, yeah, there's a sense of like, you don't know that person very well, right? Like you don't. um, And and so a part of the self-absorption here is you're really, in part, in a relationship with this figment of your imagination, um, there have uh, right, like even and that's even if you have a let's say that you've been dating somebody for a year and you they're learning them well, they still can change, right? Like exactly, still projection. So that self awareness is oh, like what's happening here? Who's this person? How are they changing? What's that impact on me? Like that's a it's a much more complex picture then, you know, back to self-absorbed picture that may be more black and white, maybe more based in our fantasies of who we think this person is, who we anticipate this person to be, um, which obviously can create problems when they disappoint that. that yes. And the thing is like, now that I'm looking back, I'm grateful for that. The, what I experienced as profound abandonment and disappointment at that time was actually the highest form of love that Zaz could have offered me at that point, right? Like, and that's what I'm realizing too. And it's even when recently I've had to set some emotional boundaries with some followers on Instagram and people on the Discord. And it's not easy because I know how exactly how they feel, where it's like someone that they maybe admire in me is having to kind of like pull back. And I know that that can feel like so rejecting and abandoning. And, and it's also hard for me because I'm a people pleaser. And I, like, I recently just set up you and their own projections of you're this all good mother, right? Yes. Understands them. And uh, like, they're good, that you're going to save them. Yeah. Boundaries, which is this, this is a kind of a prototypical scene with maybe someone that has some borderline features is that there's an idealization and then a de- idealization and being able to hold both, right? 
oh, Molly's yes. a great person that knows a lot about uh, BPD and does an awesome podcast, but then she also has limitations and she yes. also can say no and has boundaries and her time and energy, like that can be hard to hold together. Um, it's so hard. And I so understand how they feel. That's the thing. Like I get it so much. And that's what Zaz is telling me where he's like, Molly, you can't, cont- I'm watching the emotional drain this is having on you. And in order for you to show up your best, you know, in, uh, to do what you love doing, he's like, I watch what fills your bucket. Like, cause I watch your like energy going up. And then I watch the things that drain you. And I, he has such a good way of kind of telling me things that he notices, but he's just like, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And like, you know, what's best for you, but damn it. He's all, he always fucking seems to be right. It's so annoying, Jace. It sounds like a a part of uh, maybe the healing or maybe we could even say therapeutic part of that relationship is that it, it mirrors back what you're feeling and then acts as a container to that feeling. But then also he doesn't get lost in it. Right? Like, yes. And he's able to say, hey, I, I hear you, but here's my needs. Here's my limits. Here's my wants. And but in a way that maybe maintains a sense of like, I'm not abandoning you, even though it may feel like it at times. Yes. But I also have my own separate self. And, and he has literally said this to me where he goes, what you're feeling like he, he's like, I'm stepping away. I'm going to be back and you need to un- get a control of your feelings. Cause those are yours. They're not mine. Right. And, and the thing is, it's not like he goes straight to that, but he has had to get really firm with me in these moments because again, like I can be very reactive and it's honestly the best thing that's happened to me in a relationship. And like, whether we end up together forever or we don't like I, and again, that's another thing I've had to realize is like, relationships don't last forever. I always would think like, oh my God, there's never a day um, that I won't be with Zaz and that would be the end of my life. Like I have to imagine all realities. Maybe we won't, maybe we will. Um, And, but one thing I do know is that it has been an incredibly healing relationship. And if I would have stayed single and been like, I'm not going to be in a relationship and I'm going to try to get better on my own, I wouldn't have these things that pop up with him to kind of like show me, like you said, like kind of like he holds the fact that, okay, I realize you're, you're upset right now, but also these are your feelings. I'm going to take some space away. And then when we get back, I need you to like approach me in a less aggressive way so that we can have a a conversation about this kind of thing. So I would encourage the audience listeners to um, mind what they mean and when they say I'm feeling dot, 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 I'm a, I can be a bit of a stickler about this because so many times we conflate, um, and I have a post on this as well, if you want to look at it, of uh, uh, what I would call emotional or affective feelings with mm-hmm. more belief narrative feelings, right? So somebody will say, I feel unworthy. From an emotional, if I'm an emotional uh, kind of researcher, well, that's not a that's not a feeling, right? That's that's a belief that you have come to, you know, you come to a conclusion about yourself. Oh, that's such a good distinction because I even do that. I do that still. No, that's not to that's not to uh, from a like an experiential standpoint. That's not to say that it doesn't capture something about your. But, But it's still just important. The distinction is so important, isn't it? I would agree. Well, and it goes back to this. um, you know, idea of shame and then the conclusions that we come about shame. So I think this is very important for everyone and maybe particularly important for people that are struggling with borderline features is um, that oftentimes emotion can feel kind of undifferentiated. It's just like I have intensity, right? Intense feelings and it can feel ambiguous. And so to be able to tease out what actually uh, and have some type of language to capture what I would call like core emotions that are kind of Uh, primary to infantile development, like that feels really important and to have a language for that. So when I say I feel something, because it's not moral, right? Like when we were talking about the very beginning, uh, like it's, that would be putting the cart before the horse in the sense of if I call a, uh, my anger bad, that my anger is already there. And now I'm uh, kind of going back in time and calling it bad. 
like these emotions, what I'm calling emotions, happen happen faster than our ability to reflect on them consciously. So, so then, true. Like you're going back in time and saying, I shouldn't feel afraid. And it's like, you didn't have a choice. Yeah. You're just like being jerked around by those feelings. Right. Because it's so true. Like the moment Zaz will say something to me, like, those are your feelings, not mine. Like I will literally be like angry, sad, shameful at myself, like all at once, like literally all in like a flash. So if it's not some form of some primary emotion researchers will disagree on this. I have a post on it um, that, you know, kind of lays it out a little bit. I would, I would go with six. I would go with anger, sadness, fear. That's maybe the painful emotions. And then you can say the flip side of those, right? With fear, curiosity, right? When we feel safe in our fear, we can be curious. Uh, with anger, the flip side would be kind of love, right? Like when connection, desire, care. Flip side of sadness, joy, right? Playful. Mm-hmm. I like it's the, the dialectic of both of those yeah, things. I like the symmetry of that. Mm-hmm. Um, all six of those. There's some, there's some, uh, we'll say some argument, or you could have some arguments around like feelings such as disgust, even though I would say it's like a more of a moral emotion that falls under anger. But there's a few others that kind of get thrown in there at times. But those six really resonate with me, and, and they have um, physiological correlates for children. And mm. so all children have those experiences. It's just how well does the parent mirror back those experiences and provide uh, kind of a, a relational context to verbalize them and to understand them and express them. So when people say I'm feeling something, just monitor, are you, are you, are you, are you coping with one of those six feelings and the you know, intensity of those feelings in a way that has a narrative? A, a lot of times what people will do is they will uh, say I'm feeling something and they'll describe another person's behavior, right? I'm feeling attacked. I'm feeling uh, left out. I'm feeling disappointed. Well, somebody has disappointed you. Somebody has left you out. Somebody has attached you, right? Like, and so again, it's just to mentalize and to think about what am I, what am I really saying here when I say I'm feeling something? And then am I coping with an underlying emotion that's hard to be with? That is, that's such good advice for uh, people with emotion regulation difficulties like me, because I, again, another Instagram rant I went on was lots of Instagram rants that I'm bringing up here is just saying that like quite often I will actually, Zaz always says that he can see like the BPD screen go down over my face. Like he can see like the, I call it like my dark passenger, like Dexter, where it's just like, I, all of a sudden I just don't feel okay. And I don't, and when Zaz goes, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I'll, and because, and, and my response will be, I'm fine. Right. Because, and Zaz is like, well, you're obviously not fucking fine. And then he'll often like go, whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm going to go upstairs because something's not good. And then all of a sudden I'm feeling abandoned and then da, 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 da. But what happens is, is I, and I've, I've unpacked this and like picked it apart and I told him and we, again, this is why it's like so good to have productive conversations with your partner because I told him, I'm like, I actually figured out what happens when you ask me that is when you say, I know something's wrong and I can't figure out what the feeling is. And I, and when I, when I say, I don't know, or, or nothing's wrong is what I'm saying is I don't know. And that's actually scary for me to not be able to put a name or a actually the reason like there's no re- reason why I should be feeling this way. And so therefore what, when I say nothing, it is me expressing like a lot of shame and a lot of confusion and stress that I actually don't know how to name my feeling. And now Zaz like, and he, again, he's not a therapist, but sometimes he's just got really good advice. He's like, just tell me he's great. Right. He's going to have to tell him you said that, or maybe not. He'll get a big head. He might get a big head. He's like, he's the least big headed person ever, but he will appreciate that that he's doing, because he's also so mindful. He's like, I always don't, he's like, I don't want to like more traumatize you. Like I'm doing my best, but he did say, he's like, maybe you're just feeling overwhelmed with emotion. And he's like, so maybe start saying to me in those moments, instead of saying nothing, just say, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And then he's like, cause then I know it's not nothing because 
when I say nothing, it traumatizes him too, because he's like, it's challenging his own experience of reality. Something's going on. It's not nothing. No, I think it's a, a, so maybe a little bit more advice, even though I kind of, uh, I'm not a, I'm like, I'm not an advice giver, even though <laughs> I, I'm having flashbacks to like, uh, I do so much like online therapy now. Um, yes. And I'm like, wait, am I giving advice right now? I know, I know, I know. But uh, another thing to keep in mind, I guess for you and again, listeners is. I mean, well, the thing is when I went on this rant, if it helps to just be like, Jace is not giving me a therapy session right now. Uh My, my listeners, when I went on this rant and I described this exact phenomena, Jace, they were like, I've never gotten so many replies where people are like, oh my God, this happens to me too. I all this. And I, I was surprised by that where I was like, oh, I didn't realize this was such a thing. So there's, there's, I think, two points I want to make here. One is uh, the benefit, and it sounds like this was a part of your process, of just giving it any type of voice, meaning mm. rather than, uh, you know, a disconnected I don't know, it sounds like your uh, partner's name is Zaz. Is that right? Yeah, Zaz. Sounds like Z-A-Z, yeah, Zaz. Zaz, okay, great. Um, part of his feedback that was helpful is, gave you some language to capture something that felt like it resonated, right? Overwhelm. Yeah. Uh, to me, that would be a good starting point because overwhelm can be like a, what I would call like. A exactly. Issue. Like that's where you would say, I would need to find out what the underlying emotion is, right? A hundred percent. So like uh, just to give the audience a, some common words that get used here, stressed, overwhelmed, frustrated. Um, is there any other kind of, well, down, um, numb, right? Like there's these kind of vague representations of like something that is capturing. And yeah. A great start, right? Because it's it like, I don't feel okay. Like, yes, something yeah. is amiss. Right. <laughs> Starting there. And then I would say the second point is checking in with your body, right? Like, and this is, you know, for those that are familiar with the body keeps the score or this kind of more somatic approaches. Real because right of dissociation, your emotions are been they're getting communicated often either through our actions or through our body, and so being able to, and now the difficulty with this is you may want a, you know a therapist or a safe relationship to kind of help you give that a voice, but to check in what's my stomach communicating what's my what are what are my palms doing what is my leg tapping and that that may help you capture it. Now, the problem with capturing it verbally is that it's imperfect, right? Even when I say sad, that doesn't do it fully justice. Uh, and that it may be com- complicated emotions. A part of you may feel loving desire and a part of you may feel terror and dread, right? And so yeah. that, that may be a part of the overwhelm. So it may be a lot of different emotions as well um, that are stored in the body or that are not, that are being expressed through the communication of overwhelm. So, but just to be able to say something about it and then as that is a starting point, and then to find trustworthy relationships that you're building trust, right? Mm. And to be able to have conversations that are collaborative and what's going on for you, right? Like that is just so, that's so important um, when one is feeling overwhelmed. That is such good advice. Not that, again, not that he's giving me advice as my therapist. I'm just kind of, I'm a therapist that like, I try not to even give it advice. This generous thing. So even if I I mean, (laughs) it's not good to give advice. Right. And I think this is a good thing to, to, to close on. That's another thing that I found, uh, Jace, like I don't give anyone advice either. And I'm not a therapist. I've realized that like, part of my recovery too, is like, what are my values? Like I have to pick, like, what are my values? What do I strongly believe in? And I've realized that like, if people stepped in, like I had all these people, I'm like Pete Walker, where bibliotherapy has been the best thing for me because like reading books has allowed me to like collect Pete Walker describes it as having like uncles and aunts that he never had that like, he felt like they were like safe adults that got him. And like, it proved to him that there are people that get it and like are loving and accepting out there. And I have found that in all the authors that I love so much, including Pete. And, um, I realized that if it reading their books, I didn't have them in front of me to give me advice. I had to just 
read their words and then do the mental gymnastics and work to figure out how that applied to my own life. And if I had Pete Walker that I could call up at any time and he could just tell me what to do, I, I, not that he would ever do that. Cause I don't think he would, but if, if I, I did, I wouldn't have be where I am now. I wouldn't have started this podcast, for example, because I like, I did it to like seek my own answers and create something of my own. And so now I realize that part of the why to my listeners, I don't give advice and why I like shut my DM advice down and I don't provide advice in discord is because like I'm a big Jung fan and I really believe in the hero's journey and like everyone is on their own thing. And who am I to tell you what to do in your own hero's journey? Right. Well, so there's a distinction here, even with like, what am I advising right now? Right. I mean, I'm advising people to mind their uh, experiences. Right. So yeah, like it, it, I, I don't want to tell people what they should do right? Like in life, what decisions they should make. But I, th- I think there's some advice that most therapists would say of, it's helpful to check in with yourself. Right? Yes. Like, monitor what's going on for you. And yes. it's going to be helpful in the hero's journey. It's going to be helpful in developing agency and developing intentionality, volition. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's and particularly true for people that are struggling with BPD is that the parent either consciously or unconsciously made it about their own mind. And the advice here is like, hey, we're turning it back to you, Molly. What's on your mind? What's in your body, right? Like, and like, yes. what do you want? And you may not know, right? That like, I'm here to, to help walk alongside you as you figure it out. And, and bring those things up, right? Like my therapist, Bev, she, some of the most important things that she pointed out were just those things of like, so what do you need, right? Yep. Like asking the right questions and saying like, I think that might be a judgment, right? That 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 is the most commonly occurring thing in my uh, in the therapy room with Molly, and it's mostly me judging myself. Where she's just like, "I think that sounds does that sound like a judgment?" And I'll be like, "Oh fuck, yeah, yes, Bev, yes, it's a judgment." Critic is strong with you, huh? It <laughs> it is strong. The force is strong with my inner critic. I like to tell. Um, like my inner critic is so raging. And that's another thing, the concept of the inner critic uh, raised by John Bradshaw and Pete Walker, like that concept for me changed everything because I actually identified with my inner critic. I thought that voice was me. And so therefore like I couldn't take this, the seat of my higher awareness and just like actually remove myself from that process. And that's a whole nother topic that we could go into, but disidentifying from my inner critic. And again, that's another thing that's really like um, raised a lot of contention with some of my followers too, because something that Zaz and I have both actually found very helpful is kind of raging back at the inner critic a little bit. Like (laughs) I know we could go down. Right. 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 But like, literally I tell Zaz to go, like I told him about this and I said that like Zaz never comes back to me and says, Oh my God. Like he's always like, cool. He takes in all my, my geeky psychology stuff. And then like, you know, some of it resonates and then the rest, he's like, he's pretty, he knows what works for him. But I told him about the inner critic. And I said, like, I'd been yelling kind of back at my inner critic a little bit of being like, you don't know what the fuck I'm capable of. Like when it's like, you know what I mean? Like I'm actually really giving it back to it. And Zaz said he started doing that. And that's the first time Zaz came to me. He's like, oh my God, that's fucking amazing. I started yelling back at my inner critic and he visualized the inner critic as like a big ugly monster that he was kind of yelling at. And he said that he really felt his agency in in that. And Jace, I've had people say, if you're yelling at your inner critic, you're yelling at part of you. And like, and actually I can see their point. That's the thing. I can actually see their point. So what's your take on that? This is, this is the paradox here, right? So um, yeah, if there's one thing that I see legitimate pushback on Pete Walker um, is this raging at the inner critic. Now the nuance in this is you could think of the inner critic as the internalized critic, right? So a child is not born critical of themselves. No. Now they may be sensitive to that, right? In the sense that maybe they are sensitive to being 
you know, high achieving or, or kind of uh, competitive or something. I'm certainly open to that temperament. Um, but yeah, this idea of that I'm just born really harsh on myself. No, no, you learned, you were conditioned to be harsh, like harsh to yourself. So I think for me, it's contextualizing. When you're raging at your inner critic, it's not like you're raging at mom and dad. You're raging at the caregiver who was- yeah. Well, because they call it the inter, I've I've seen it referred to as the internalized critical parent, the critical inner parent, or something like that. Yeah, and I would agree. I would agree with that. So raging at that feels like understandable. Now, yeah. yes, and this is the paradox of like having compassion for your shame, for your inner criticism, yeah. in the sense that that helped you, right? Internalizing mm-hmm. that critic actually helped you survive. So it's a both and, right? So let's not split on our inner critic here. Yeah. Our critic is needs to be contextualized and kind of what differentiated from, and a part of it needs to be shown compassion of like, oh, that harsh voice is trying to help me survive in a kind of perfectionistic, high achieving way. Do better, Molly. Like, you know, that kind of like, you can, you're, don't be a piece of shit or something. I could see that being helpful at points. Um, yes. Over time, whoa. I'm being really harsh. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I, I don't need that in my life. Right. So I, I, I think I tend to agree with you. Cause like for me, here's what I think. I think that raging at it a little bit, like I can understand why that gets people to a certain level of where they can kind of, it's like healthy anger. It's like you said, right. It's kind of getting some of that anger out, but yeah. I couldn't agree with you more that for me, I took a step back from the screaming at the inner critic. I realized that this internalized critical part of myself is hurting and sad. And like, I imagine it as like a wounded child, right? Like, because for me, when I started thinking about my inner critic, I'm like, when I lash out at people, why am I lashing out? It's usually because I'm hurting. And what is the most ineffective thing people can do when I'm hurting is like screaming at me. And so I tend to now agree that like, I think that yelling at my inner critic got me to a certain point, but I did have to take a more nuanced approach and realize that like, it's all me up there. And so I can't be screaming at parts of my head. (laughs) I think that's, it almost mirrors kind of a developmental trajectory, even with say a, a, a hurtful parent, right? Where initially there may be some contempt, um, some rage, some really strong kind of you fucked up mm-hmm. and over time, the grief, the sadness, the compassion for the intergenerational nature of what's yes. taken like that can enter into the chat as well. It's, it's, I love enter into the chat. I love that so much. <laughs> Grief has entered the chat. <laughs> like, but it's, 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 it's so good. I bring, I bring up again, the metaphor of like turning on the tap, right? Like where it's like, sometimes I actually really think that me screaming at my inner critic was like getting all of that, like shitty black water out of the tap. And then then I could like have room for these more nuanced feelings of like grief and da da da. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Whenever I speak to someone who is a professional, I always ask like, where do you practice? And like, um, you don't, you can only share what you are happy to share, you know, but I want to give you the floor to be able to say where people can find your work and what are you working on? What's next for Jace? That kind of thing. That's well, that's a good question. Um, I, well, you can find me on Instagram at Dare Being With. Um, I am pretty full right now. I don't yeah. need referrals or anything. Uh, Carrying yeah. on the theme of our overwhelmed mental health system, folks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can find me in Sherman Oaks, California, and I work in West LA. I, I do a lot of clinical work, so I'm a little splotchy in my presence online, which some ways I have mixed feelings about that. I kind of like it. Um, it's something I chose to do over the pandemic. Honestly, it's a little bit of a, it's kind of a creative outlet. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty steeped in individual and group work right now. Um, so, I mean, yeah, if people, if people are interested and they live in California and, and you know, they want to seek me out, they certainly can Google and, and uh, you know, uh, find my number pretty easily if they were wanting to reach out for treatment or something. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much it for me. 
Amazing. Well, Jace, thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure. And I love having like a more a balanced professional perspective to balance out my like hot mess reactive perspective. <laughs> it's always very nice. I hope I was able to be balanced in my approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm just so excited for the listeners to hear this one. So thanks. Thanks, Jace. Yeah, of course. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review, and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.